And so as we get into the text this morning, I want to remind us of one opportunity coming up, uh, baptism. We get to celebrate a few baptisms on the 6th, and if that's still something you here would love to participate as an outward expression of an inward experience, we would love to celebrate baptism with you on the 6th. Uh, and, uh, and it was my son's adoption day on the 17th of November, uh, which was pretty special. And I look back and I see this little baby boy and, uh, and I see him today and I go, man, where have the years gone? And, and so Rick Pearson recently said this. He said, man, the days are sometimes long, but the years are short. And I, I look at this and I go, man, the years have flown by. Um, and we also have a, a new addition coming January 7th. Eden Hope is going to be entering our life. Uh, very shortly. And so it reminded me of this. I don't know if this looks familiar to anyone. Uh, this was a toy that I remember Hudson, not this one in particular, but I remember this toy uh, Hudson would just spend a significant amount of time on. And, and he'd take these little pieces and he just, you know, you, you could see his mind working and you could see him just trying to figure out where these pieces went and uh, just the, the frustration that would build on, on his little face as he was trying to figure out how these pieces worked together. And I could sit as a dad and watch this happen. And, and sometimes you'd want to step in, and other times you, you just want him to, tr to try and wrestle through it. But, but this, this picture came to my mind recently as we've been going through this series because I, I, I thought of the three lies that we've been pressing into. Henry Nouwen was speaking of three lies that, that we are tempted to believe that we are what we do, we are what we have, and then this morning wrestling with the idea of we are what people say or think about us and confronting that lie. Because it feels often as I, as I look around our culture, people are trying to make the puzzle fit. That if I just had more stuff, then, then I'd be fulfilled. And I hide behind this mask of what I, I have or what I do. That, that if, I just, if I just worked a little bit harder and was recognized a little bit more, then, then I'd be fulfilled. And, and so this lie that I look around and I see, if I, if I just gained the approval of others, then, then I'd have a life figured out. And so today we want to wrestle through that third lie that I'm confronting, that I am what people say about me. So we're going to wrestle with the text. It's coming from Luke 6 is where we're going to land today. And these are the words of Jesus. Luke records the Beatitudes in this way. And we're going to land mostly on verse 22 and 23 and verse 26. So let me read these for us. Words of Jesus in Luke. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing this revolutionary kingdom. And, and I don't know about you, sometimes I feel like when I was young and dumb, I'd hear these words and I'd go, I'm going to go take the hill and let's do it, Jesus. Now I'm older and I go, are these words really true? I mean, it's a little more sobering to read these words. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And verse 26, woe to you when you, when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So what we're going to try and press into is taking off this mask of the lie that I am what people say about me. Taking the path of least resistance and becoming a socially acceptable people pleaser. And instead, instead, taking off that mask of craving the opinions of others and leaning in to find our confidence in the only one whose approval really matters. Taking off that mask of people pleasing and continuing to crave the opinion of the one who really matters. So pray with me as we dive into the text this morning. God, we want to hear from you through your word. We believe your words bring life and a sobering reminder of the reality of what this life is about and the life to come. And so reveal yourself as we, as we press into your words and, and, and long to hear your voice uh, through your inspired words. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. And so just a reminder, why do we wear masks? Henry now and identified these three. Where do they come from? The idea that we either want to hide our identity or we want to change our identity. That we either want to hide who we are in certain settings. That we're afraid of, of people finding out who we really are and so we, we hide behind some mask. Or depending on the situation, and God forbid that happened here in our church in Hillcrest, God forbid but that we change to meet some kind of perceived identity and try and hide behind who we really are. Rather, we get to embrace fully as the people of God who we are and be loved and receive loved and be met for where we're at. But why do we wear masks? I think to hide or to change our identity. And so this morning, we want to press in to that third lie, confronting the lie that I am, what people say or think about me. And, and the first idea should be fairly obvious. Don't hear some massive, like, wow, David, this stuff is revolutionary. Instead, I hope a consistent reminder of what it means where we're seeking the approval in all the wrong areas. So back to the text, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now what goes through my mind is, is it bad when people speak well of you? Like, is that a bad thing? Gene, is that a bad thing that people say positive things about you? Come on, that feels like a positive thing. And so, first, what the desire to please people, I think, gets right. Because is it wrong to want to be at peace and, and, and receive positive feedback from people? So what I think the desire to please people gets right. Two things, and we're going to see it in a few texts here. One, I think just the general principle, we actually care about what those yet to, what, what, what yet, what people who have yet to treasure Jesus think. That's actually a positive thing that we actually take into account what others are thinking because why? 
I actually want them to find life with Jesus. I actually, I don't want to just be right. I don't want to just battle about what's right and wrong and, and see how smart people might think I am. Instead, I actually want them to be saved and know Jesus. Having a relationship matters towards that end. The place to start sometimes in a conversation isn't just blasting people with what's right and wrong, but instead just listening to someone, hearing their story, eating with them, sharing life, and then maybe sharing your story. So what the desire to please people gets right, I think a desire that people actually find Jesus. Here's what Paul says in Galatians, or sorry, what what Peter says in, in, uh, in the letter we're actually studying. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You're not trying to piss people off. You're actually trying to demonstrate some positive things for people so that they look at your life and go, man, I'm not sure about David's belief, but he just seems like a good dude. Positive stuff. Here's what what Paul says in Corinthians. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. We want to win people. And sometimes the stuff that we claim to believe is crazy, Paul actually addresses that. A few chapters later, if therefore the whole church comes together and we all start speaking in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your mind? Paul seems to take into account the idea that he doesn't want people thinking followers of Jesus are out of their minds. He, He seems to take that into consideration as he shares on how we ought to act. And so there is a sense of what people pleasing gets right, but with all things, There is a sense on what it gets wrong. And so, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So he seems to be saying something about how people speak well of you and why they speak well of you. And so there's a part of people pleasing that gets stuff wrong. And what's at the essence of that? When might it be bad? Jesus says, woe to you when people speak well of you. When might that be bad? I think what Jesus is pointing us to is that when it leads us to compromise the truth of of Scripture, the truth of who Jesus is, and when we begin seeing our value defined by what others think. So when does people pleasing go wrong? When we compromise the convictions of what we have, and begin defining ourselves by what other people think. And so there were four ideas that struck me this week on how that might be true in my life. It may resonate with you. But I look at it and I go, when does people please and go wrong? It's when there's obligatory compliments. When there's a refusal to press people for fear of conflict. Woe to you when people speak well of you. Why? Because they're not actually hearing the last 10%. They're hearing the 90% of the iceberg, but not that last 10%. Obsessing over appearance. Where I'm more concerned of the image I'm portraying on any social media platform. And I'm obsessing over appearance. Or last, covering or shading the truth. Here's a few texts that I think point us to this view of when people pleasing goes wrong. 
Paul tells us in Galatians, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I just think of that dinner reservation, right, that someone invites you to, and there's almost this obligation that I need to say yes. I can't, I, I can't, I can't turn down dinner. You know what they might think of me? And then when I'm actually at their house for dinner, Jillian, what if I don't like the food? I, I can't say I don't like the food. I mean, I just, an obligatory. Whose approval am I seeking? And fear of conflict. I think in Matthew 6, Jesus says some fascinating words about obsessing over the appearance and how we're perceived. Here's what he says in Matthew 6. And there's three separate chunks. Don't get overwhelmed by the text. There's three ideas in here where Jesus talks about obsessing over our appearance. We don't wrestle with that, right, anymore. He says, when you give, what motivated them to give? That they be praised by others. And when you pray, what motivated some of those hypocrites, he says. (laughs) Don't be like the hypocrites, why? Because they're just motivated by being perceived by others, that they may be seen by others. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Again, what's the disconnect? Because they're simply seeking and obsessed with their appearance, how they may be seen by others. And then the last, which is the sobering one about the people-pleasing tendency, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That's, that's heavy. That's like... What? whoa, that, whoa, that's cool. No, it's a, it's a, it's a warning. This, whoa, look out. Don't, don't fall into this trap where all people speak well of you because you're shading the truth of your convictions. And so, obligatory compliments. When you walk into an environment and, and, you, and there's this burning desire where you want to be approved, you know how to get approval, right? What do you say? Say something positive about the other person. Hard to say that about Ricky's haircut right now, but we just want to say something positive about somebody. And we want to give that obligatory compliment. Why? Because we'll know they'll speak well of us. Right? Refusing to press for fear of conflict. Maybe you have people in your your sphere of influence, your family members, that are making decisions that are different than what you think might be best for their life. And you know if you press, there's going to be conflict. Could be in your own family with your kids. You know if you press, there's going to be conflict. And so, for fear of understanding, for fear of how you might be perceived, you're going to withhold that conflict, that that perspective. Or obsessing over appearance. We might not obsess over the appearance of the way we give, pray, or fast, but it sure feels like we obsess over other factors in our life. That every time before I post something on social media, I'm assessing the time of day I'm going to post, the filter I'm going to use, the language and the word choice, because I'm obsessing over how I'm appearing. Why? What's at the root of that? Could be, could be, don't hear me say always, but how I'm perceived and the desire to please and gain admiration. And lastly, covering or shading the truth not willing to stand on some of these convictions. So, how how do we actually take off this mask that craves for human approval? How do we actually remove and cut the root out of this desire that's in us for human approval? 
No radical epiphany here. We actually begin increasingly finding our approval from the one that matters. And I want to try and press three ideas of what that might look like as we seek to find approval from the one that matters. So, first, we begin to live with nothing to prove. There was this dude in my life named Wally Norling. During my candidating visit, you may have remembered that I mentioned him. So, Chuck Swindoll would consider Wally uh, a mentor in his life. A guy named Larry Osborne would say Wally was a mentor in his life. Uh, I would say Wally was a significant impact in my life. I remember spending uh, the last two years of Wally's life before he died. I was actually headed to meet him on a Tuesday morning, and, uh, and he passed away that morning. And I remember we just sit in his, in his living room. Guy had his oxygen mask on, and, uh, and his sweet wife, Betty, would bring his date bars and orange juice. And we would just sit, and, and we'd talk about Ephesians. And, and Wally said this. He said, David, live with nothing to prove. As you increasingly seek the approval of the one that matters, you will increasingly live with nothing to prove. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a bunch of, verse, of, of words and ideas here, 17 of them to be precise. Don't write them down, but just let them wash over you of the identity of what it means that we truly are a child of God. Here's, what he, here's just a few of the ideas. That we are fellow heirs with Christ. One of the most fascinating things was was at Hudson's uh, adoption day on November 17, 2017. We're standing before the judge, and and he begins saying these words, that Hudson was formerly a ward of the state, but is now a child of the Bartosics, an heir of the Bartosics with every right and privilege of a natural-born child. That we are heirs with Christ. That we have every right and privilege that is bestowed as one of his heirs. That we are justified before God. That we no longer stand condemned because of our sin and brokenness in his eyes. We've actually been justified by faith in him and we stand no longer condemned. Citizens of heaven. That we are strangers and sojourners in this world because our citizenship is in heaven in a place beyond this life that we long to go to. That we are saints, not like Mother Teresa, but in the way God views us as his kids, perfect in his sight because of the covering of Jesus. We are saints, one spirit with Christ, one with the Father and the Son. We are new creatures. There's been a transformation that's taking place in our lives. Even now, the work of the Spirit is working out in our life. This transformation, new creatures. The old is gone, the old is gone, the new has come. That we are free. I don't know if you're, you're an earner where you need to earn people's approval, where you need to do more and try harder. But the word free in Galatians is so freeing. Where it's no longer trying to earn our status and our, and our place before God, but instead he accepts us for who we are and meets us where we're at, no matter how far we are from him. That there is a freedom that is justification. We are saved by faith. 
And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Chosen, holy, blameless before God. Loved and chosen, redeemed, forgiven, uh, alive with Christ. We are His workmanship. This beautiful workmanship that He is working out. And we are complete in Christ. Lacking nothing, He says. And then someday, we long for the idea to be raised with Christ. What does that feel like to believe those ideas? It means we begin living with nothing to prove. Wally said this. He said, David, (laughs) you have nothing to prove. If your best is good enough for God, it's going to be good enough for everyone else. That if your best is good enough for God, your best is going to be good enough for everyone else, David. Stop trying to please everyone in your life and continue to please the one who matters. And may that reflect the core identity of your heart. Live with nothing to prove. So how do we continue to chop away at this this root of, of craving human approval? We begin living with nothing to prove, and we focus on the eternal, infinite reward. We focus on the eternal, infinite reward. Back in Matthew, those three ideas, when you give, you may be praised by others. Why? Because there was a reward attached. What was the reward? Being praised by others. And when you pray... Others are seeking a reward. What's the reward? So that they may be praised and seen and recognized by others. There is a reward other that, that people-pleasing nature is chasing. What's the reward? To be seen by others. And when you fast, there's a fast so that I'm seen by others. And what, what motivates it? Because the reward is being seen by others. That Jesus in Matthew is appealing to something deeply inside of us. That we are motivated by this reward. What's the reward here? Just a little more shallow and temporary. But no less a reward. And Jesus appeals to that. And then immediately following these verses, he appeals to a greater reward. Here's what he says. So that your giving may be in secret. And what's the reward? Your Father in secret will reward you. Seek His approval. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. Why? What's the motivation? Why wouldn't I want the motivation of being approved by others? Because there's a greater reward. Namely, seeking the approval from the one who matters. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret is motivating. (laughs) Why? Because we're seeking the approval of the one who matters, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Feels like sometimes we crave this 15 seconds of fame rather than seeking the approval from the one who matters. Wrestling with whether to share this popped into my head. Uh, the Hillsong, Hillsong pastor, 
Uh, if you've been tracking or following that a little bit, there was a gentleman, uh, one of the Carl Lentz, I believe his name was, uh, had an affair, took full responsibility, and, and the person he had an affair with, from my vantage point, didn't need to come out and, and verbalize, but instead did. And I, and I go, why? What reward was she seeking? And I don't know her heart. I'm not trying to judge her motives. But what reward was she seeking by publicly sharing her side of the story? And I wrestle with my own broken heart. God, whose approval am I seeking after? I posted something silly on Twitter. I shouldn't say silly. It was significant. Didn't think much of it. Woke up the next day, checked. And, and I had a few more likes than I've had in recent memory with some of the things I've posted. You know what happened to my heart? Huh, that felt good. Why? <laughs> Obsessing over the appearance of others or how I appear to others. God, may, may my reward be from you. And I don't think, and again, I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis. I think this is something that God has planted in our lives. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it. The New Testament has a lot to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to, Jane, what is it? To desire. Even in self-denial, here's what could go wrong in (laughs) self-denial. We begin getting praised for being, for denying certain things. David, you are doing such a good job denying certain things. What might that do in my heart? There's still this reward that I might even seek in my self-denial. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly hope for the enjoyment is a bad thing, I submit this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Instead, Indeed, if we consider the infinite unblemishing reward, the unblemishing promises of the reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drinks and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus appeals to our desire for reward, and he says, find it in me. Live with nothing to prove. Live with nothing to prove. And we focus increasingly on our infinite, eternal reward and begin growing that increasingly. And this third encouragement, we see finding approval from the one one that matters essential in this ongoing thing called life. And this was the sobering warning to me from Luke 6 this week. That we live with nothing to prove and we focus increasingly on this eternal award, but there's a, there's a warning for those following this Jesus revolution. Here's what he says in verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the, on the count of the Son of Man. 
come again, Jesus? What what'd you say? Blessed are you when people hate you and when they revile you. And when they spurn your name on account of the Son of Man. Is that something I want in my life? And not only that, like self-denial, he goes one step further. What might, I, what might I do when that happens? Rejoice in that day and leave for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their prophets, so their fathers did the prophets. What would motivate me? What in the, my right mind would lead me to go, man, I love when people hate me and revile me on account of the Son of Man. Who in their right mind would want to do that? Jesus says, blessed are you when that happens. And not only in self-denial might you do that, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. And then the sobering warning, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You want to know You want to know the sobering reality of of being a part of Jesus' revolution? When was the last time someone spoke evil about us on account of the Son of Man? When was the last time that I was reviled and hated for not shading the truth or making obligatory compliments or not sharing something out of fear of rejection? And so I was talking to a guy named Brandon Mackesee this week. So Brandon, could you come on up? You could have stand on this side because you came that way, but I don't know. I just feel like this is my better side, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And, this side's great. And that's a great picture of you. Oh, yeah, thanks. It doesn't get any weirder in second service seeing a big blown-up <laughs> view of myself on screen. <laughs> so, 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 so why don't you tell us, for those that don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself for us? Sure. So uh, my name is Brandon Magassey. Uh, We, My family and I have been attending Hillcrest since like 2014. I've got a wife, Ashley, and four kids who were here earlier and uh, yeah, that's that's us in a nutshell. Ah, uh, and, and so so when you when you read Luke six this week, uh, how'd that strike you? What was that doing for you this past week, or, or just as you reflect on your story? Um, what what's Luke six mean in your life? So uh, I, I recall it made me think of my, my two sisters. I've got two sisters, uh, both who profess Christ, and. Uh, I, I love both my sisters, and we had uh, my, my one sister a few, several years ago now was going through a period of sin. She, she was willfully choos, choosing sin, and so, you know, I, from a personal perspective, I wanted to, like, maintain the relationship. I, I didn't really want to bring up mm. anybody's sin, and, but I, I know, you know, like, I mean, as I read Matthew 7, 5 in particular, was at the time that struck me was that uh, we were called to remove the plank from our own eye before we remove the speck mm. from our neighbors, which mm. is to say, be humble, right, mm. about it, but, but don't let people continue in sin. Because you had, I mean, even if you backed up a second, you actually had a great relationship with your sister. Yeah. Your, your sister adored, adored you. 
Too, too much so, maybe. maybe. I, uh, when I'm, she's, there's like a six-year age difference between my sister and I, and she, uh, she used to actually, like, when I was, you know, I remember when she was in school and I was still in high school, probably 16, maybe she was 10, she used to actually, like, write me little poems and little things. So we had a really great relationship, and that continued on even as into, into adulthood. Uh, but, but there was less of a, yeah, I mean, so I, my, my goal in, in confronting her on her sin was to, was to reconcile her, her to Christ, as, as we're called to do. Uh, but, I, but I knew there was a potential then that you know, nobody likes to be confronted on their sin. I knew there was a potential for conflict. And you even wrestled with, with your, own, your own humility in that sense. Is this, is this something that I ought to bring, bring? Taking the plank out of your own eye before removing the speck? Wrestling. And, uh, and simultaneously, I hear you saying, um, wrestling with the, the, the potential conflict that, that could ensue. From a selfish aspect, yeah, I didn't want to. I don't, who likes conflict in family, especially with, especially with close people that you're close with. It's really, so I ultimately did go uh, and confront her on, on it. And it unfortunately didn't, she continued, she didn't mind. I brought up several scripture points and she ignored them and said that she didn't really, wasn't really concerned. It's totally fine. And to this, to this day, I mean, I still have like a strained relationship with my sister. I still see her. I still talk to her. We see each other at family functions and she calls from time to time and things. But there's definitely like a, a distance there that, that wasn't there. Uh, before one that I wouldn't prefer, and I still hope and pray for my sister, and one that I hope will ultimately, you know, grow to be like it was, was before or better than. But uh, but I know that we're as Christians, we are called to reconcile people to Christ, and mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately, I, I I can't live for the the hope of hearing hearing man's praise or even somebody as close to me as my sister. I can't live for for hope of hearing uh, their praise when I I want to live for the hope of hearing my my Father in heaven. I mean, when we talk about uh, how, who do we want to hear from? When, uh, sorry, well, Jesus says, we, what, I long, what we long to hear for is praise, right? Mm-hmm. And whether it be the praise of man or praise of, praise of God. And it's, it's easy for us. We love to hear, you know, well done, you know, well done, hey, nice job from people. Mm-hmm. So how much greater will that be to hear from our Heavenly Father who created us, who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words I long to hear. And what's it feel like even to say those words? knowing that who knows what this relationship's going to continue to look like, and yet you long to hear those words, well done. What does that feel like even to say that, Brandon? I mean, that's, that's what I long for. That's what I, that's what I desire for, right? That I, as good as it would hear for my sister to be in the good graces of my sister and to have her, uh, have her be singing my praises as she wrote about in, in poems in years past, how much, how much greater, though, to live, for, to live for the glory of God. And I still hope and I pray for my sister that she will be reconciled. Uh, but, but whether she is or is not, I, I, live for the, I want to live for the glory of God and the praises that, that he has. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. I need people like Brandon in my life challenging me to say, David, this is worth it to seek the approval from the one that matters. And so I got three takeaways for us. And I was talking to my buddy Kyle this week. And he said, David, here's a litmus test that I'd encourage you uh, in your life. Uh, to run this identity check in your life. Uh, That when we find ourselves bothered with a constant sense of frustration, uh, discontentment, anxiety, or any other emotion less than peace, run this identity check. Here was his encouragement. That first, ask God to show you where you are placing your sense of value, confidence, and worth. That as I evaluate... (laughs) my life, and I'm, I'm pressing in 
that I ask God to show where am I placing my sense of value, my sense of confidence, my sense of worth. And then, as he exposes the answer to you, actually listen to that call (laughs) and return to our first love to seek the approval from the one that matters cultivating our relationship with our perfect father, intensifying our desire to experience the reward, that infinite reward, as his son or daughter. And then and only then from that place of unconditional grace and love can we live, lead, and love from a place of fullness, peace, rest, and joy. And so if one of those lies that were coming out from behind that mask of I am what I do, I am what I have, or I am what people say about me, Run this identity check. And then specifically to this week, the two encouragements. In place of fear of letting others down, we remind ourselves that what seems so important right now is only temporary. There's this metric of five days, five weeks, five months, and five years that help remind me of of the things that are important now and the things that are only temporary. I think back to when I was in junior high school and those test scores that may seem so important then, five years later, how significant are they? For the approval of some co-workers now, five months from now, how significant will that be? In place of fear of letting others down, we remind ourselves that what seems so important right now, craving the human approval of others, pales in significance insignificance to the reward of eternity. And then last, in place of temporary rewards, we remember His promise to reward us eternally when we follow and seek His approval. That we actually try to intensify our understanding of those rewards, of what it means to experience the holiday at the sea. May our Lord never find us too easily pleased. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life, our pursuit of you. Uh, We want to seek your approval as the only one that matters. And if there's someone in our life who may still be seeking that, may you place them on our heart that we may engage them in conversation this week. Not hiding behind fear of conflict, but truly seeking their best in helping them find their significance in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen.